When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking prairie birds and ptarmigan with Dave Sheely. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 197. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, as always, and thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Your continued support is greatly appreciated. We will have a new Patreon monthly giveaway winner to announce on an upcoming episode, probably on next week's show. Haven't had time to pull all that together, as it is the heart of hunting season, and I'm getting packed up this evening to hit the road tomorrow. Meet up with some friends for an annual grouse camp, so we'll have that winner to announce shortly but for those that don't know if you sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot starting at five bucks a month you will be eligible for those monthly giveaways you get access to some discounts on upland institute gumleaf usa you get access to some bonus content like the bonus episodes i do with nick adair of the gun dog it yourself podcast and of course we'll get you that little welcome pack with some birdshot podcast can coolers and stickers again that's patreon.com forward slash birdshot thanks for considering that Anyone out there, please remember to leave a rating, review, subscribe, follow the show. Whatever you can do in the podcast app you're listening on just takes a moment and is very helpful to the Birdshot podcast. So thank you for that as well. Other than that, I don't have much to report other than, like I said, it is still the best time of year. Spending plenty of time in the woods. Been a little warm recently, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't enjoying the pleasantly mild mornings and evenings. 
Looks like we got some cooler temps ahead, which should be a little more conducive to all day bird hunting. Fingers crossed, we don't get any significant snow for just a little while longer at least. But let's get into the show today. On today's episode, we got a friend of the show, Dave Sheely. He is an avid up and bird hunter, runs the gun shop at the corner store in Bacchus, Minnesota, and has been a continual source of information for me on double guns and specifically prairie birds, two things which I have certainly come to know and love over the years. And as you will hear on today's show, Dave has been smitten with those things for quite some time and has a lot to share on the topics. He also recently took a trip to Alaska in pursuit of ptarmigan, a hunt which you will hear about on today's episode. So if you're passing through my state of Minnesota and you want to drop into a cool little gun shop, see some very nice double guns and side-by-sides, look up the corner store in Bacchus, Minnesota. And here to tell us a little bit more about that and other things, let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Birdshot Podcast, Dave Sheely. are recording dave sheely happy halloween buddy thank you <laughs> what are you doing on this beautiful october day well i just got off work actually you you got me uh you got me about a half hour out of work about a half hour early wow so hopefully anybody <laughs> they, nobody catches me on that but um but anyway um uh, just coming home and we got a few trick-or-treaters some special ones uh, our grand granddaughters coming over and a few others but otherwise pretty light yeah yeah it's a it's a bittersweet day always when halloween rolls around because october (laughs) is coming to an end which which is a month that i know both you and i look forward to every year have you uh i know you're out west and and we you got some trips in in that you've taken already that we're definitely going to talk about Mm -hmm. but have you uh have you spent some time in the october grouse woods you know some um Unfortunately, this year with the, the couple trips I did get in, yeah. um, I I did I haven't gotten as much. I this this last weekend I was in North Dakota. My dad's a big duck hunter, and and okay. uh, I promised him I'd I'd go on that trip. So I went duck hunting up there, but I uh, I stowed away a couple of dogs and a side by side, and and did a fair amount of upland hunting while I was there this weekend. Knowing knowing Dave as well as I do, that's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> what were you chasing primarily? Looking for mixed bag hunt sharp tails, pheasants, or what were you getting after? Yeah, I really wanted to just at least get one of each. Yeah. You know, each you know, the the two days that I got to hunt. And the first day I got it done, the second day I should have. Um I I had a bird get away from me, but um but no, I was a little bit of sharp tails, a little bit of huns and the pheasant or two thrown in where we go duck hunting uh by rugby it's it's good duck hunting it's usually not very good at all for pheasants um Mm. you know or sharp tails but uh the birds are up some and so uh, i found a few excellent excellent how's your dad doing by the way he's doing fine He, he can't get around very good uh so we have to really be uh cognizant of that when we're we're finding places to go but but no he's doing good yeah 
I, I got to meet him a couple times and, and the listeners won't know this, of course, but I got to meet you, Dave, as when I was working for Rough Grouse Society and you're involved, you guys were both involved in the deep portage chapter of the Rough Grouse Society and kind of a cast of characters up that way. I, I want to talk about that <laughs> a little bit because you obviously, I don't know if you grew up around all those guys or it would be interesting to, to kind of hear your background and kind of how you got into into hunting in the outdoors and especially if it was related to that and again knowing knowing those guys well i saw so i actually grew up in in illinois okay and be, became a i love the dogs and i i was pheasant hunting down there uh we'd been, been coming up to a resort up in bacchus here uh pine river area uh, rest of the pines on on lake hattie and it came up for sale uh we've been coming up for like 12 years or something anyway i moved up here or we moved up here and I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Um, in 1979. So that dates me, but, uh, then moved up here and became a grouse hunter, uh, dogs all along this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but always had to have dogs. And, um, anyway, so I was working for reeds at the time and I wanted to get the rough grouse society going around here. So I called, uh, and got a meeting set up. And then uh, that's when Larry Olson and Jer Jerry came the year later and Norm, uh, we all got together and we threw the first one together and literally threw it together. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the rest was history. We, we had a, a number of great years with a run with that. And then, yep. uh, of course, you were, you were our, our man a couple of years. That was pretty nice. Uh, and so we, we got to meet a lot of uh, really neat people during all that. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So, so moving up to Minnesota at that point in your life, obviously your, your dad and our parents were kind of steering the ship. Was your dad, like, was the move related to kind of getting closer to the outdoors at all, or was there other stuff going on? Yeah, that was part of it. Uh, also, we were, we, we just had a small farm in Illinois and it, it at the time it was big, kind of bigger bust kind mm, of thing down yeah. there. And it was just a, a good time to do it. Uh, if we were going to, uh, and so, uh, I have one sister, she's a two years younger than me. And so, uh, us four moved up here. I was ecstatic because <laughs> I love the outdoors. I, when, when I graduated from high school, which was only two years later, uh, some of my, uh, classmates are going like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going like, well, I don't know where you're going, but this is a pretty cool place <laughs> I'm to staying be right here. So, so I, I've stayed here ever since. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I've, I've loved this area. I, I mean, my, my heart's in Montana. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, if we didn't have grandkids, um, I would be there on a more full-time basis, but, um, but this is a nice place. Yeah. Yeah. You're where you're at, you know, kind of a little bit Northern central, Western Minnesota, you're kind of on that line of the woods and the prairie. So there's a, I mean, I, as I understand it, like I haven't spent a, a ton of time out there much more over here on the Eastern side of the state, but really, you know, kind of deep sort of waterfowl grouse, grouse culture, just very, very well rooted. And there's a lot of variety out there. Would you, was that accurate? Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's, if you're a fisherman, you can fish about anything. Yeah. There's so darn many lakes yeah. and they're known for different things. And, and you can hunt grouse, you can hunt woodcock, you can deer hunt, uh, duck hunt. My, my love for the prairie can, came based on, I've only been able to hear for out of one year since I was quite young. I mm. had a, 
I had the uh, measles and a really high fever and I burnt one of my eardrums out. So I can only hear out of one ear. So you can just imagine how mm. much fun it is <laughs> hearing a grouse get up <laughs> and always assuming that it's always on your left side because that's the <laughs> ear you can hear out. <laughs> so I've, I've had a little frustration there. I've, so that's one kind of one of the reasons that the, the prairie has really drawn me, I guess. Yeah. It'll use you my eyes rather than my ears. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, actually, yeah, I've got a buddy of mine that he uh, he's had some some hearing issues that that were maybe shooting onset, and he too he's kind of he's he's really going through that figuring out like what you know what are the net because he loves to hunt he's a passionate bird hunter and and he spends mm-hmm. a lot of time rough grouse hunting but we've all we've started going out west and hunting out there and um, that was sort of the first hunt of the year this year for him and it was I think it was for the reasons you're describing, you know, being a, a bit more visual and you're not so, mm-hmm. you're not so, uh, held to your all five senses, you know, the hearing a grouse before you see it is, is a huge part of being successful in the rough grouse woods. And so like, yep. you, like you're saying, if you, if you're disadvantaged there, it can be, it can be very challenging and probably <laughs> frustrating yeah, to, <laughs> to say the least. But so the prairie helps yep. l- lends itself to that kind of hunting. That's for sure. Oh yeah. When when you came when you moved up, had you done any grouse hunting or or was that something you kind of discovered after the move when you got up here? Yeah, no, that was definitely when I moved up here. Yeah. Um, in Illinois, it was just all it was all pheasants right. and cottontails. My twenty two, but <laughs> no. So when I moved up here, that's when uh, when the grouse. I heard my first one drum. Didn't know what it was. Yeah. I thought somebody should eventually start that tractor but <laughs> it never got started but yeah. uh but no I, I figured that out and and really loved that you know taking just taking walks in the woods and and having a dog and stuff and and that that part was was pretty cool uh and and that kind of caught me and hung on to me uh you know ever since yeah well, you you mentioned bird dogs were kind of involved from the beginning you guys what kind of dogs did you have growing up well, that was, that's interesting too. We, we had Britney's. Okay. Um, and so Ben O would be proud of me on that one. Yeah. Um, so I had my first few dogs were, were Britney's. Uh, but when I moved up here, it, it just seemed a little better fit. Uh, well, I kind of have, I've had quite a progression. I, I've had Britney's, uh, and then I, I got into setters for a while and then, then I got to the shorter, shorter haired dogs. Just yeah. Strictly out. I just, you don't have to take care of them quite so much as far as the uh cockabers and Mm -hmm. everything else and seeds and weeds and and uh and so i've kind of progressed there but always have had pointing dogs yeah yeah i I didn't know you i always when i first met you i think you had you had more uh pointers in when i first met you which is still do yeah you still do and do you do you have uh do you still have a brocco too i do i I have quite a quite a menagerie because i have (laughs) two Two short hairs, two pointers, and a Brocco. But I still have one of my old wire hairs who's just living uh, the, you know, the the green pastures. The, hi, the high life. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he, he can't hear, and he can't see actually that well anymore. Mm. So he's just hanging on. But, yeah, I got a Brocco, and she is a beaut. She's just, she's our house dog and our pet. Okay. And she stays at home with, with Kim when I go. Uh, but love her. She's really good. Um, uh, but I don't actually hunt her all that much. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the, let's talk about the prairie a little bit because that's, uh, that's you and I were chatting earlier 
it was really you you go out there tend to go out there early and we can just kind of we can dive in mm-hmm. there but i had, i got a little report from you based on i was leaving a bit later and so we were chatting in september but you make that annual trip pretty early and i know you're looking forward to that all year so talk to me about the the prairie and kind of your your annual trip a little bit so i've been i've been going out to montana since actually 2000 okay. uh it dates all the way back then and and for probably 2003 or four i've gone every year since and because I have a gun shop in Minnesota that the season opens mid, you know, mid September. Yep. And my, um, accountant slash wife says, I probably should sell some of that stuff that I have in there, guns and <laughs> ammo and such. Um, I tend to try to get back for our, actually our openers I gotcha. uh, so that I can be around to work. So that's one of the reasons that we go so early. Cause really, there is some disadvantages to going early and obviously most of it's heat. Mm-hmm. Um, the snakes can be out a little bit more. It's hotter. Um, but, uh, they're, they're very approachable birds. Um, and I'm going to go out there even if I got to go in the heat <laughs> and we've learned how to do it. We've learned how to handle that. Um, but we've had a lot, a lot of wonderful, wonderful hunts, um, out in Montana ever since. Yeah. So, other than the obvious thing when it comes to heat and comes to early season, we'll kind of talk talk tactics a little bit here, hunting the early season prairie. Obviously, starting early in the day can be helpful. Are there mm-hmm. are there anything is there anything else that you're doing to to work around heat? And then I would be curious, like if it's you know, is there a temperature that you've got in mind that you're saying for snakes and or heat that you're we're done for the day, or how do you how do you approach that? Well. First of all, I, we do go really early. Um, I, I'm not one to kind of sit around very long. So yeah. we're actually usually wherever we want to be our first spot at first light. Okay. And I've actually seen Huns in my, in my, uh, headlights. So, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're moving around early. Yeah. Uh, but I do that for the heat. Um, then we get a lot of, you know, usually get two, three, maybe four good hours in early. Yeah. Um, snakes. You just stay out of rock outcrops and stay away from um, prairie dog towns is your two biggest things. Okay. Um, because they, you know, those are big things for them. You still possibly can run into them here and there. Right. Right. We've, we've been very fortunate so far and not had a dog incident. Uh, my son, <laughs> we we wear uh, snake chaps, or I mean snake gaiters. Excuse yep. me. Yeah. And uh, and we we've, we've worn them for years. And kind of a funny story back on that is my son and i one of the first trips we took he he started hunting with me once he got out of college because he was in basketball college basketball and he couldn't go and so the year that he graduated i I took him for the first time out there and he's gone with me ever since and uh but anyway we had these snake chaps on and i keep saying chaps with gators and uh uh he's going man it's getting really hot i think i'm gonna take these things off i said well you can, but I, you know, I've talked to a couple of locals and, and they've kind of recommended this is, you know, what we wear, but you know, you, you can do what you want. Well, anyway, he didn't, and we got out there and this sharp tail got up and I'm going, man, that should be going right over him. So I let it go like a good dad does once in a while. And <laughs> it, it went over and no shots. And I kind of get around this. It was kind of almost like a berm. And I, I get around this thing and here he comes and he's, he's walking at a really fast pace. And I said, well, did you see that bird? He goes, he goes, I stepped on a snake and I wrapped around my leg. Let's get out of here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a, 
a rattler. Oh. But we didn't know he didn't know that right at first. And he actually stepped on it and it rolled it wrapped around his leg. Jeez. And he kicked it off. And uh and so we got I wanted to go see it. He goes, No, let's get out of here. You know, so we got out of there. <laughs> the very next spot I stopped, I said, you know, it's really getting hot. You might want to take them off. He says, <laughs> I'm never taking these off again. <laughs> oh man. But we've had a few, you know, we've had snakes. We we found them a few times. There again, my hearing, I, I don't know how close I probably have been to some snakes and, and not known it either. <laughs> They're so, rattling on one side. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we'll usually hunt early, early, really early. Yeah. And then it starts getting hot around 11, 1130. Mm. And, and plus we have four dogs with us. So we rotate a lot. So the only bad thing about that is you can't get as far away from the truck as you like right. sometimes. Yep. Yep. But we'll rotate a lot. We'll go. And then during the real heat of the day, we'll go look at other spots. And we also will hunt an occasional, uh, if you find um, some tree row stuff um, to where you can get an, a leeward side where it isn't quite, so, you're not in direct heat. Get a little you bit. You can run shade, a dog yeah. on that side. Yeah. yeah. You can run a dog on that side, maybe just one run yeah. and then put him away and run another one. So you can do a little bit of that when it's really, really hot because you're, in the evening, you're waiting a long time for it. Yeah, start long time. That's long days, you know, yeah. in September. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But we've, we've had a lot of really good hunts. And this year, the the hunt numbers were fabulous. Yeah. I mean, it was, we try to usually get uh, one little uh, sage grouse hunt in. And we, we, uh, I only allow us to each shoot one. Because we've shot enough of them, but it's just such a neat hunt. Yeah. It's just a neat experience. Yeah. And you know, you know about that. And so we'll, we'll each kind of shoot one and then, uh, but then we'll have our hunts in sharp tail that we'll be going on after. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The stark contrast between being in the open sunlight versus a little bit of shade behind. I mean, it's just, you it oh. just, I mean, it's so obvious, but it just feel like that, that feeling you get into that shade, the, the, the instant relief. It's incredible. I just, yeah. every time I'm sitting in that sun, when it's, you know, you know, heat of the day, high sun, I just like how to, you know, this environment, it's just, it's just crazy to me, I guess, coming from the land of land of trees. We just don't get that scorching heat. Right. Like and you'd be walking across, like you said, and you'd be feeling that. And all of a sudden one cloud will go through. Yeah. Yeah. And you go like, wow, we got to make some hay here. We got to get, get closer to the truck there during yeah. this little, uh, little shot of relief. Exactly. Yeah. When, when it comes to starting early, cause that's something that I, I've talked about or not talked about, but, but talked to people about when you're, when hunting sharp tails and stuff, you know, how do you approach it in, in mid morning after, after the birds maybe make a move, but are there, do you change where you're targeting birds starting right away at first light at all? Well, so you're, you're hunting food source. They're going, they're, they're going from, you know, there's loafing, uh, areas, kind of the staging area, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's where they slept that night, you know, that night. And there's, then they'll usually have a little area there just before they go to the feed. And so when you're that early, you're, they're still going along the edge to feed. I mean, that's what they're, they're, they're working towards. So you want to be, usually we'll have one guy, right? Like if we're using a, doing a stubble field, we'll have one guy right on the edge of that stubble field. And then we'll have one guy in the, well, usually my son will be in the little taller grass just off to my left. Okay. And he's usually on my left. Cause I can hear <laughs> if he's saying something, yeah. uh, but, or the other way around, but, um, 
you don't have to, for hunts, you don't have to be out too far in the stubble. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't times they're out in the middle because it can happen, but Sharpies are more in the middle than Huns are. Huns are usually not too many rows out in the stubble most of the time. Okay. And so we try to, well, I call clear the field. So we'll go and work that whole edge all the way up. And then you'll, you're hopefully getting into a couple coveys of Huns. And if you know where they went, you knew right where they went, you know, got a good mark, you could go after them. But otherwise they're going into these usually ravines and stuff. Yeah. And then we'll work them through and then we'll go back to the ravines and try to find. Them. Okay. And so, yeah. So, so like you're saying, it's almost like when we're, when we talk about hunting rough grouse, sure they could be in the middle of the Aspen cut, but we, we try to focus on the edges first, at least as, as mm-hmm. far as prioritizing. And then, you know, sometimes you go where the dog takes you or you go where, where you, you kind of wander to or where the birds take you, but it's right. You're working the edge. Yep. And so the edge of yep. that, so you mentioned a stubble field, so a wheat stubble field perhaps, and then on the on the other side you might have sort of that, that pasture grass, right? Yeah, usually that'll be the case, and then there'll be like a ravine or something. You don't have to have real necessarily uh, stemmy cover like you, like sharp hills like as much. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be just just grass. I mean, it doesn't have to be – in fact, the, the – when you're hunting prairie birds, if you're hunting, if it's hard to walk, it's usually too thick. <laughs> right, right. You know, yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so how do you, how do you think about this? Is one that I would say of the of the experience I've got hunting sharptails and huns. You know, slowly kind of putting the pieces together year after year, a few days out there every year. But the when it comes to thinness or thickness of the grass and i guess i'm always, i'm thinking more sharp tails and that's mainly because that's what mm-hmm. i've been into i've you've got a lot more experience and been into a lot more hunts that's that's kind of like i'm still still getting there but mm-hmm. do, is there and, and one thing we noticed this year was they had more rain and the cover was a lot thicker so there was just more cover this yep. year and a lot of it was a lot of it was thicker so that kind of changes your your perspective, but it's sort of like, that's like the overall bar, like just all the cover was thicker. So that's kind of like a mm-hmm. year to year thing. But is there, is there stuff that you look at and you say that's too thin or, or what's too thick? I guess, how do you, how do you think about the thickness or thinness of that pasture grass? Well, that's interesting you say that. Cause there's been, there's places that we've hunted every year in Montana. So I've had a lot of years experience and there's shelves or benches or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And there's grass on top of them a lot of times. And there's times when I walk through there and it's just been too thick. And I'm going like, those birds are not using this. And you don't see the little bowls, you know, see the little roosting areas. Yeah. And if you think about it, they got to have a place to land or they want it. They don't want to just land on, a, you know, a whole bunch of uh, stems. Sure. So they want a place to land. So you're looking for those thinner spots. That's where they're going to land. And that's a lot, and that's not necessarily where they're going to run to go take off, but they're, they're going to, they're going to land there. And so you very rarely is it too thin, unless it's, it's overgrazed, right? It's more, it, you can easily be in too thick a cover more than too thin a okay. cover, I guess is my point. Yeah, that's good. I mean, if you're, if it's hard to walk, they're not going to want to land there. I'm not saying they won't roost there or you can't push them into that stuff. But I'm not saying that's necessarily what they prefer either, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and when it comes to being too thin, you know, I think we've, if you've spent time out there, we've all sort of seen the, the pieces of ground where, you know, it's like the golf course, it's the putting green where it's been grazed, grazed right down to the ground. But that can be kind of a, you know, sometimes, 
this is like another cut, like what you see from the road is it's, it's just, and it's just the nature of the beast. You can't see the entire property always. And so you don't always know right. what it looks like. And it, it's reasonable enough to assume that if it's really, really grazed by the road, you know, the, the level of grazing is probably, you know, somewhat consistent throughout that piece. But if you have patches of bare ground, that doesn't mean you don't have decent patches of grass up in those little benches or those, or those bowls, mm-hmm. kind of like you talked about. So, and sometimes I wonder there, it's like, well, in that case, you almost have like those, those pieces of decent cover surrounded by, you know, a lack of cover, then it almost kind of becomes isolated spots. And sometimes the birds are yeah. in there. And I think I've seen that. Yeah. And what's, what's cool about Hans. If you find a covey of huns, and, and Ben's alluded to this many times, is that they're there. I mean, they're going to be in an area. I mean, unless something really weird happens. Like if you had a, a really big event, like a, a big hailstorm, uh, or you just total grazing too many times in a row. But yeah. otherwise, you find those huns. That covey of huns is there every year, year after year after year. They're not in the exact same spot, but they're not too far away. And if you get an area maybe that is a little bit dry, that might just limit where they're at, but they're still probably going to be there. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually have some of your best hunts. Like you said, I've had pastures that I've walked and it's, you know, it's overgrazed. And I'll look over there, but that, that little hillside over there has got some rough looking stuff. Go over there and you'll find a couple of hunts. Mm-hmm. If you know they're there, that's why we're really careful to make sure that we don't overshoot a covey. Yeah. If you get really small coveys in years, you've just got to just say, I'll see you another year. Yeah. But this year, man, there were just some very, Big just very nice sized coveys to where you didn't feel bad about taking a few birds Yeah, and still knowing that those, those coveys would be healthy and in there, you know, for years to come if you know, if good Lord willing and the, the creek don't rise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think on that note, I think that's good perspective. What, what do you look at and say that covey's too small? We're just gonna, we're just going to give them the, the old, as, what is the Ben calls it something where he just he just raises the gun and says bang bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. Um I I I'm at five, five. for sure. Yeah. I, I don't really like to see you know, five and under. I have made a mistake and a cubby gets up and I uh, I was already in a cubby. Sure. And then this other cubby gets up and I shoot one, I realize, oh, you know, there there wasn't as many birds and it's a different cubby. But um my my cutoff usually is five. I just don't like to. I don't like to get them down into that. Obviously, two, three. That's just that's just not enough birds. And yeah. And I mean, I know they can. You know, they can. You know, get birds from other places. But but why? If you know that's how many are there, then you just get the dog work out of it and move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's helpful. And like you said, I mean, things things happen. We don't know we don't know everything, you know, you might not see all the birds, lots of that stuff, but it's like the thought process. What's your thought process? Mm-hmm. And someone has been, someone yep. who's been going out there for 22 years or so, I, you know, that's helpful. Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt, check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. 
For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. That is one of the cool things about what people that hunt huns a lot. It comes up often. You talk about the coveys being there. And as you, as you mentioned, Ben, who is a friend of yours, maybe we should, we could touch on that briefly, but he talks about, you know, finding the same covey year after year. And I think that's, that's, for me, like from afar, I can easily relate to like how that kind of makes it special. You know, you have to develop a relationship with that covey and the fact that they're covey birds where it's like, it's, it's similar. Like if I go to back to the same grouse cover every year and I flush, I flush grouse, you know, I, you can kind of develop a relationship with a cover that way. But in this case, it's actually a covey of birds that's kind of living there and, and reproducing and that, that covey maintain, you know, stays together, which I think that's, is kind of unique to, to the covey birds. And I can see how you could, you could get very attached to that, you know, very easily. Yeah. And Ben alludes to it a lot. And you know, that he's got, you know, them named on a couple of his, his, uh, places that he goes a lot. He's got a couple of ranches that, that he helps them, you know, kind of guides them and what they should be doing, whatever. But, um, but he talks about that a lot. He'll have them named, you know, the actual covey itself. And, um, you know, there'll be, there'll be years that there's four birds in it. There'll be years that there's, you know, 18 and, and, but they're there and they're in those same spots. They're usually within, you know, half mile, if if not less, uh, to where you find them year after year after year, assuming that there, like I said, there hasn't been something major happen yeah. to that area, but, um, it's, it's one of those things that he talks about. He's ingrained in me a long time. I've, I've known him a long time. We talked quite a bit and we've kind of gone round and round on, uh, a lot on guns and, and yeah. different topics. And, and that's one that he always ingrained in me is that, you know, they're there, they can be there year after year after year. If you just have a little stewardship and, yeah. and, and I've, I've done that. Yeah. That's really cool. How did you, how did you meet Ben initially? Um, so I really want, I had this one pointer that I've gotten a lot of birds on. I really wanted to get a sage grouse and I'd never done it. And I wanted to get it with this dog while he still was in his, you know, kind of his prime. And, and so I called Ben actually about a book that he had written on Winston, uh, one of his, his dogs. Okay. And well, actually I was going to buy the book and it says, or call. So I call and, uh, I'm thinking, you know, I'll get some secretary or something. Sure. And he answers the phone. <laughs> I go, he goes, yeah, this, this is Ben Williams. I'm going, wait, what? <laughs> and I just about, you know, to me, 
talking to Ben would have been like talking to Walter Payton in the day. Yeah. I was in Illinois or, or, or talking to Michael Jordan. I mean, to me, he just was, you know, he was the Hun guy. Yeah. Well, so I, I mentioned my the book. I'd like to have him sign it. I'd like to buy it. So I, I was smart enough to get the, you know, I'm buying something from you for it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but then uh, he goes, I go, you know, I really want to get a sage grouse. Uh, what would you recommend? And he, being the teacher he was, he told me an area, which I didn't expect, you know, a spot on the map. Right. Like I gave you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but um, but just an area and kind of what to look for. So I'm going, okay, this is great. So my brother-in-law and I go out there and we walk for three days. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, um, but I know I'm going to get one. I'm just, I, I am just going to get one. And we walk and walk and walk. And, um, we finally, I finally got one. And so did my brother-in-law and I called Ben and I, I told him and I was excited and I go, we kind of got it figured out. Now we, we saw what we did wrong, blah, blah, blah. The next year I went, uh, with a friend of mine and we, uh, took a, a drive through this one, two track and we did a bunch of hunting. And we must have saw, I don't even know, we must have saw 30, 40 birds that, that mm. year. And I call him back and I'm just ecstatic. I'm just saying, Ben, I got it. I figured it out. <laughs> um, so then that summer, we're going, my family and I are going on a trip to Yellowstone. And we're, we're hanging out there. And I told him that. He goes, well, just come over uh bring your bring your wife and kids and bobby kid that's her his wife yeah. uh, they'll take them on a little walk and you and i'll just i'll show you some of the property and we'll talk a little you know guns and doubles and and huns the usual oh, <laughs> and i am freaking out <laughs> my wife's going like what is your problem i go i i get to go over and he wants you and i can't even hardly talk you know? <laughs> and uh so we get over there and I meet Ben for the first time and I leave my family there while I go. And Ben says to Bobby, we'll be back at noon. Um, well, that was a lie. Yeah. Because we got <laughs> back at about three and oh, that's not I was bad. just, as, yeah, <laughs> yeah, unless you're my wife and my kids are waiting for me. They were not impressed. Well, I want to tell you what I had the time of my life and he must've got impressed with me on what I what I knew, what I wanted to know, my enthusiasm, I don't know. Right. But we have been just great friends ever since. I've given him two pointings, two pointers over the years just so he had a couple of good dogs. And I mean, <laughs> good dogs in his kennel. And uh, I've uh, we've swapped, you know, this, that and the other thing. I've gotten one of his fly fishing uh, rods and mm. he's taken us, my son and I fly fishing. And we just I've just gotten a a really good rapport with him. We, we talk, we talk usually about once a month yeah. and just about things, but, uh, that's how, that's how I get to, to meet him. And that's, that's kind of how it all started. And he's given me a lot of great advice on Huns over the years. Just a lot of great advice. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I didn't know the whole story. I'm sure you shared some of that with me, but, uh, just for the listeners, I, you know, I interviewed Ben a while back and that was, that was through you, Dave, for you connected Ben and I, and, 
And in a lot of my prairie hunting, you know, I'm, you're one of the first guys I call up and kind of pick your brain. And so it's, it's cool. It's, it's a, it's a very small world and there are, there are a lot of people out there that are willing to help and willing to share. And so I'm, I thank you for that. And I, that's, it's really, really cool to hear, hear how some of that information got passed down to you from Ben. It's just, just neat. Yeah. And you got to pass that on. Exactly. You know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So let's, let's talk sage grouse a little bit briefly, just because you mentioned it there and like, like what are the, actually, before we, before we leave Huns, what are the ABCs of Huns? We talked about, you mentioned the wheat stubble field, the grass edge, the draw ravine. Is that kind of the ABCs of, of hunt hunting? Anything else you'd throw in there? Yeah, well, unless you're unless you're hunting with Ben because he hunts all those uh, those prairie hill or those um, uh, you could say mountain hills, whatever you want to call them. Mm. I mean, he's he's hunting birds that are just in you know he's just eating seeds and and wild whatever. Um, so he's hunting totally different than what is let's just say more classical hunt hunting. I, I've done it his way. I've done it in his cover. So is, um, I can would you say that he's, so he's kind of out like in more just like native wild prairie grass versus yep. sort of the, the ag mm-hmm. mix in there. Right. So he has to, he has to read it differently. He's reading the grasses and mm. what he thinks they're feeding on then, but you don't have the edges to work with. Got it. That is way easier to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that, I always, obviously the, I think it was, I think you would probably recommend my, before I went out my first time, I grabbed his book, Western wings and started digging in there. And mm-hmm. he talks, you know, he makes a point of mentioning that the Huns sound like a rusty gate opening when they get up. And of course you can never, oh, once you yeah. read that, you can never get it out of your head. And then I, I need to hear a few more rusty gates, but every time I do hear it, I smile. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh man. And when I just was in North Dakota and just this last weekend and I, I picked a spot, a, a, a plots area that just looked like I had a shot at some huns. Mm. And again, I'm hunting an area that's not usually that great for huns, but you know, there's some birds and darn if I, we just didn't get around that edge and my dog goes on point and there they are and they get up and they do that, that squeal. I, I don't, that screech, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, that, that's awesome because you just don't know how many birds you're going to see for one thing right yeah um and it's just and to be able to to settle down and pick one bird that that takes a little time you don't do that the first time you shoot uh, at them I'll yeah i'm i'm not like i cannot <laughs> and especially this year you mentioned like the with it being bigger cover i saw more huns this year and the mm-hmm. cubbies were bigger and I was kind of up close and like, I cannot keep my composure when all those birds <laughs> get up at the same time. It's, it's just, I oh, would, need, awesome. I need to see it more to, to even like maintain yep. an ounce of composure. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got to pick that one bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually, and I mean, just, I've been fortunate enough to shoot at a lot of hunts and I've been fortunate enough that at times to know when my dog's on point that, you know, they are hunts mm. and, I have gotten um, a triple with my double barrel on purpose a couple of different times where I've been that focused where I pick two birds together and one more bird. And then the next time you do that, you're going, well, aren't I something? And then it'll just look like a blur and you won't, you'll miss them all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. What, that's an interesting point. What, what are you keying in on with the dogs and the cover that is making you think hunts? And 
it's that's funny because I was we t- I think I talked about it on the last episode when you're in the rough grouse woods and you know you've got the mixed bag rough grouse and woodcock you're always kind of trying to figure out what it is and sometimes mm. that can wreak havoc on like your decision making and it can actually kind of shoot yourself in the foot but what cues are you picking <laughs> up on out there well the classic cover you know the closer you are to the edge more than likely they're hunt okay yeah um, that makes sense and then if you're in light, lighter grass a lot of times they are but they can like you said they can screw you up too mm. sharp tails have a tendency to be in more stemmy stuff especially if you push them or if it's crappy weather yeah or if it's you know whether it be hot or or cold and rainy or or whatever so huns just uh typically are going to be a little more open stuff um but you say that and then all of a sudden right they'll right. do something weird because i can i've got them in, in sage sagebrush cover too um where i've gotten points and thinking well this is either sage grouse or whatever and all of a sudden a couple of huns will get up so yeah it's not to say they won't but that would be my kind of my i guess where i would think they might probably would be hung yeah 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 that that kind of makes sense based on the things that, and that's it's just one of those things it's you know inevitably you will get surprised that's part of that's part of bird hunting out there but it's it's funny how it happens sometimes where and i think this could be said of huns, you know, if you're, if you're getting into a bunch of woodcock and you're walking into a point and you're expecting a woodcock and a rough grouse gets up, <laughs> good luck, you know, and I yeah, get and right. the same thing. Like if you're, if you're thinking sharp tail, which is, you know, out there, let's say it's early season sharp tail, you know, you've got, it's a, it's a bigger bird. They don't move as fast. They're going there. If you're thinking sharp tail and a covey of huns get up, I could imagine, you know, you might as yeah. well just open the gun and empty it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the word on hinge comes to my mind <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly yeah uh okay sage grouse so when i went out to montana for my first ever sage grouse i called dave and you gave me some some information which kind of involved uh putting me in a in a very specific location but you didn't have it you didn't have a radio tag on the on the birds or anything so <laughs> we still <laughs> nope, we still had not. to we still had to go walk but your intel was your intel was fantastic obviously uh but anyways you get out there and it's a sea of sage and mm-hmm. what you know what things do you look for to sort of filter that sea of sage what are the objectives and what are the things that you're focusing in on to try to increase your odds of finding birds well that's an interesting bird because they always talk about the sea of sage you need you, you need un unbroken mm-hmm. sage is what they really want and that's why they're part of why their population is going down what they're saying yep. but to some degree but what's interesting about them is first of all the lighter colored the sage that had a little bit more moisture and so uh like this one year we were hunting and it was really dry a few years back and my son and i there's this one piece we've hunted a lot and we just didn't get any birds up we we went around the edges that we and when i say edges for for some reason they kind of will be by fences sometimes i don't know what it is about them but i've I've found them by fences a few times so we kind of hit those edges and then we kind of go out in the middle and we come around this this spot and i'll just describe it here in a minute but i and my dog goes on point and we hadn't gotten anything at that point we walk in on 17 sage grouse to get up Mm. and 
I don't know how there can be 17 sage grouse there and you don't see anything until right. they get up. Right. Yeah. Especially in that cover. Cause you can see some of the ground, you know, you can see some of the bare it ground. It's amazing. <laughs> and so then another 12 get up right behind them. Jeez. And another, I, we guessed another 14 got up right behind that. And they were absolutely everywhere. And I, we, we both needed just our one bird. So we both shot a bird, boom, boom. And just sat there in awe and watched. And I said, son, just take this all in. Right. Because you may never see this again. And I got to looking at it. I'm going, now, why are they here? Mm. And the other thing on sage grouse, you start looking and you can start seeing fresh droppings. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing all the old stuff and all the old stuff. And you're going and you're just walking through a, you know, a sea of sage. And then all of a sudden it starts getting a little fresher. Because I think they kind of gravitate. I think they kind of work an area and then they go to another area and they, they kind of, you know, stay. You're either going to run into a, a family group, a few family groups together, or a actually like a bachelor group, mm-hmm. yep. or just a couple single really big ones, males. Uh, that's kind of what you run into. But so anyway, got to looking at it. And here it was kind of like two little hills kind of came together and made kind of a nice little trough. And you could just tell that that the moisture was held there longer okay. yep. um, than it did anywhere around it, and that's why those birds were there. It was it was, uh, I guess you could say, more tender sage, and they were in there in spades. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So, and that's I I had heard that from you and others again, sort of the water sources. But or whether or not there's water there, you want to pay attention to topography and those mm-hmm. those draws and those bowls where additional water might have collected. And again, you can sort of you can sort of trace back. It's very logical that you got a place yep. that collects water. Water runs through. You're going to have different vegetation there. It's usually going to be higher quality, and that's in going to draw in native game birds. Pretty simple stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, and then we we talked sharp tails a little. We talked a lot more sharp tails on this podcast in general than than those other two birds. But when you're uh, when you're when you're not specifically targeting huns and sage grouse, where are you looking for the sharp tails? Stem of your stuff you mentioned a couple times. Yeah, and actually, when I'm hunting huns, there's a lot of times you're going to get into say uh, to sharp tails. Yeah, in those you know in those stubble fields. They're typically just a little further out, so a lot of times you won't get those shots, you know, on them when mm-hmm. you're getting up. But you'll see where they go, and then you'll you'll try to make a play that way and try to find some birds. But uh, most of the time, you're not close enough when they're out in the stubble uh, to get any of those shots. But you're going to at least know that there's some birds there, right, um, in that area. Otherwise, you're just doing. The, the thing is, if you're going to go into the the brushy draws looking for them better not get there super early because they're out feeding. Right. So you need to be doing that during the middle of the day when it's hot or it's cold or it's windy or it's raining or whatever, then you should be there because they're, they, they've left in the early morning, late evening. Yeah. So they're, they're, mm-hmm. fl- they're flying out to maybe that stubble field or something that we talked about. And then they're heading back to those, those brushy draws to either, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, keep shaded if it's sunny or get out of the weather if the weather's poor yeah yeah okay let's see i think 
we're going to jump to, well, yeah, we're talking, talking traveling, hunting here. You got to take, you got to take a a pretty Mm. cool, pretty cool trip. Was that earlier this month, October, or was that late? Yeah, actually, well, it was late September, the start of October. It was their last, basically their last week. They, they do that up there. We went to Alaska, ptarmigan hunting, uh, trying to get all three subspecies. Yeah. How'd you get the, how'd you get the bug to go do something like that dave oh i'm always (laughs) looking for something cool and the problem with that is okay unless you're taking your dog here you are in september late september early october you're going gone for a week and your dogs are just sitting there yeah well that doesn't make much sense well uh my buddy barry and i figured out okay we're flying with dogs so we each took a dog and we went to Alaska. Uh, it's been my, nah, it's been on my bucket list forever to, to not only hunt ptarmigan, but to go try to, to hunt white-tailed ptarmigan, rock ptarmigan, and willow ptarmigan, mm. uh, and try to get all three. It was a great hunt. Uh, Alaska Airlines, you can get your dogs in there and back out. Uh, they do a nice job. Um, and, uh, and so we, we set that up and, and we went here in the September. Yeah. On the, on the, just the simple logistics thing. I, I think I've asked a few people this before, but when it came to flying the dog, what was that experience like? What did you have to do to make sure it went well? It sounded like it worked out well, but talk me through it. So we were scared to death. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> Yeah. Me too. <laughs> because I had never done it. I'm freaking out, but. Okay, so you got to have a decent sized kennel. Okay. You should have one with, if you can, with handles on the top. That kind of helps get moved around. You got to get a cart as soon as you get to the airport. You need a cart because you're not going to be carrying this all around. Right. You got a great big bag. Right. You got your guns. You got this kennel. Get there and you put in your baggage first. You go to the baggage uh, department yep. and you give them whatever it is that they're going to, you know, that you're going to just check, yep. check in. And then they, they give you this, um, stickers for on your kennel. And you're wondering like, what the heck is that about? And you don't really know. And then you got to go to baggage, uh, uh, check out or check in. So you go over there, uh, our freight, I guess they call it. And yeah. you go over there and then they, look at the dog again they check them and make sure you don't have anything in the kennel uh all those good things and then they take your dog and when you're sitting on the plane then a stewardess will come up and give you one of those stickers that they put on on your kennel that says hi i'm grit and i'm i'm here (laughs) ready to go so you know that your dog is on the plane has been boarded the plane okay so that's nice yeah, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, and then you, we had to have one flight from Minneapolis. We had to have it to, um, let's see, where do we have to go? Oh, Seattle, and then from Seattle, then Anchorage. And so Seattle, we made sure there was only one one hour layover, because if it's four hours or more, you have to take the dog back, right? Uh, run them around, and then you got to recheck everything. Oh yeah. And yeah. so we made sure we only had an hour layover. And then once we got in that plane, here come another sticker that said, I am grit, I'm on board. 
And so again, you know, your dog is on board. Yep. Um, and then we got there and of course they were ready to get out of the kennel. There's no question about that, but right. they were no worse for wear. Yeah. Um, so the, that's how that worked both times. The airline is, so they're not like, they're not letting the dogs out. Obviously there's just, so you're, no. you're trying to shorten the timeline there to make, you know, to limit the amount of time your dog's in the kennel. Right. Obviously the big fear right. is, you know, layovers and delays and you know, that sort of thing. But, I mean, but then you'd have to go get your dog. They got some protocols. So you'd never so, even, yeah, yeah. yeah, you would never, you know, so it, it took us eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. So that's no big deal. It's, that's not that's not bad. No. So I mean, granted, it'd be nice if you could just have him right right in the seat next to you. Right, but right. unless he was a, a lap dog, that's not going to happen. But yeah. it it worked really well. Um, they did they did well. They they didn't get out of the kennel looking, you know, looking any different. Right, um, right. So it went well. It went well. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's that's good. To, that's good to hear. Tell me about uh, tell me about the the hunting trip a little bit. What was that? What was the experience like? What were your expectations, and then kind of how did it play out? Okay, so there's this place up in Alaska that you can go, and they will fly you in to these different. You, you fly into a lake, and then you hunt around. And so there's rock, there's willow, and there's whitetail. Rock is a typically above snow level. Okay. Now this average. 59 year old flatlander <laughs> didn't do as good as you would hope so on those mountainsides. We'll just say that I got, the I Sheelys are so athletic. you got college athletes. Yeah. I mean. yeah my, <laughs> yeah. They all played basketball in college. Great. Yeah. When you're 15, 17, 29, <laughs> you know, 29, but when you're 59, yeah, we'll see how they do, but no. So I, I did fine, but there's a few things that I would take different. I would take, mm a pack that I could put my gun in the back of it and just grab it out of it. When you're just cruising. And two poles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And two poles, get up to the level you want to hunt. Uh, and then, and then start, you know, then grab your gun and start hunting. Uh, so the rock ptarmigan was an adventure. Um, it was, it was snowy. It was rocky. It was slippery. And I, I could slide pretty good. I could slide with the best of them. <laughs> But you're not really supposed to do that. Sure. Uh, but no, so I slid a couple times. It really got me pretty cautious. So I definitely was the last one down. Uh, Barry's a, a mountain goat, so he can he can walk all over the place. But this this I had to slow down, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. And so we we got our rock ptarmigan. Uh, Barry actually ran into to whitetail ptarmigan on his way up to the rock ptarmigan. I was already in them. Uh, me and another gentleman. And uh, so he got both the two hard ones right away. And I got my rock. And then you go down, you work your way down, uh, and Will Termigan are on the, you know, the bottoms, you know, and like the name says, they're in the willows a lot. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're a wonderful bird to hunt, uh, way easier uh, and way more plentiful. Um, so we set it up for a hunt on monday wednesday friday and then the two off days just do fishing um and so uh we did we did three of them with the hopes that you and that's what they tell you with the hopes that you get two in because of weather okay yeah and that's how it turned out we got two hunts in the second one we did a basically a willow ptarmigan hunt um i did have a shot at one white tail ptarmigan 
Uh, and if I would have made the shot, I'd been pretty pleased with myself. It was a pretty hard shot, mm. and I didn't get it. Mm. Uh, and I was up in this high, higher elevation, and the, another bird came down the hill. My dog was up on point, and I was trying to get up to him. And these birds took off, and a bird came down, and I shot it, and it went down, and I, it's it was steep enough to where I just kind of just sat back because it was just like there was the mo- the mountainside, and I was all just elated that I got my three uh, until I got down there, and it was a a willow ptarmigan that decided that he needed to be in higher elevation. Oh, that day. no kidding! <laughs> <laughs> so I got two of the three. I got willow and rock. And Barry got all three. And you got and, a shot at a white. So tail. I got to go back. Yeah. 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 And I, I got to go back. Unfinished I guess, business. White tail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did the, how did the dogs do new environment, new birds, all that sort of thing? Well, I brought a young dog along. I really wanted the experience. And when I was there, the, the first day we were there on the, when we got all the way up to the rock time again, I was asking myself why I brought him because he was ready to, um, he was ready to hunt, and you just had to be really, really careful up there. Once we got down into the Willow Ptarmigan uh, country, he was he was wonderful. And as it turned out, it was just it was an amazing experience, and it was great for the dogs. Yeah, my dog gained a lot of experience as a young dog. He's he was only a year old, or he is only a year old, and and he gained a lot of experience uh, from that trip. So I got what I wanted out of it for him. Um, but at first I was wondering what I got him and I into. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. No run-ins with grizzly bears. Uh, we had a hunt in a fishing, uh, excursion the second day. We saw 14, whether you want to call them Browns or grizzlies, Come on. whatever they're big and they're Brown. <laughs> and I was fishing this one, uh, rock or I mean, sandbar and, all the rest of them were fishing over there by the boat and I moved over cause I wanted to catch some Dolly Barton and I was catching them on my fly rod <laughs> and a grizzly po- or a brown, whatever came out of the brush, 22 yards from me. Jeez. But then, yeah, but then, but then turned back and went, went back the other way and went around just around the corner. And the guy says, did you see that? And I looked over and he was about 40 uh, some wa- walking away from me at that point. I said, yeah, that's cool. He goes, well, look where he came out of. And it was like 22 yards. Gosh. And so that was that was maybe a little close. Yeah, but that's about 180 a yards too close for me. <laughs> <laughs> we saw a lot of bears and we saw moose. Uh, yeah, we saw a lot of cool stuff. What was the weather like there late September, early October? We actually got really lucky there too. Uh, very fortunate. We were probably in the 51 to 54 uh, every day, uh, the day that we couldn't fly on that Wednesday, it was just too windy. Mm. Uh, they just couldn't go. So we actually did a spruce grouse hunt that oh, nice. day because down there we were in, uh, Sedatna, I think they pronounce it. I always say Sedatna. Um, that's where we were based out of. And so we did a hunt there and there are no rough grouse there, which I thought oh, that's crazy. Hmm. Um, but you know, I've read a lot of stuff from Fairbanks and there's, there's a lot of birds there, but these are just spruce grouse, but Barry had never shot one. So we did a little spruce grouse hunt that day. And it was, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So would you go back? I got to go back. Got to go back. Yeah. Unfinished I, business. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. I got a couple of things I got to buy yet. I mean, like, I mean, a couple of really good poles and, and yep. Barry gave me the pack that I need. Um, 
so I'll be a little more prepared there. We met a super cool guy there that I actually, the funny thing is, I'd been following him on Instagram forever. Yep. Uh, Eric, Alaska right? bird hunter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I met him. I, I walked down the first day to go get on the plane to go. And I look at that guy and I go, I know you. Well, I mean, I don't know you, but I know you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he is a, the nicest guy you ever want to meet. And he is a mountain goat. He's a big guy, but he can go. And uh, just an enthusiasm for, for all things outdoors uh super nice and actually he came he just was through here uh on his way to duluth to, to hunt with a friend of his uh so he was down in the lower 48 and stopped at the store and showed him a bunch of my side by sides and uh actually gave him some spreader loads and nice and sent him on his way but it's super nice guy and i want to tell you what that that boy there knows his Armageddon. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. He actually, yeah. I like you, I sort of follow him on social media and kind of knew who he was. And he, uh, he, he sent me a message last week saying that he was in Minnesota hunting. And so I was kind of like, Oh yeah, you should, you know, find some good hunting. He's like, I just, I actually stopped at the, at this little corner store in Bacchus to be <laughs> this guy that I just went hunting with. I'm like, you went to Sheely's? No. And, and I didn't know that you were hunting with him. So again, going back to that small world thing. I, I mean, didn't know I was hunting with him. You can't make there. it up. <laughs> no, it was just awesome. Yeah. That's so yeah, cool. Super nice guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we're uh, we're getting uh, we're getting close to time here, and I know you and I both have some some trick or treating to do this evening. So, um, you, I did want to ask you about. So you mentioned Bacchus Corner Store. It's in Minnesota. It's a little gun shop. You've got you've got a whole, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a bunch of stuff in there. You've got some vintage side by sides, and you're a double gun guy. And and oh, I was gonna. What what gun did you bring to Alaska? Gun or guns? So yeah, I brought two side by side sixteens. I um I I borrowed back my my son's slash my <laughs> Bernadelli Roma three okay uh, because I knew it was going to be pretty tough on it and I wasn't we weren't we're not so worried about that one yeah. and then I brought my twenty one okay uh, sixteen yep. yeah uh, and that one I, I'm not going on a chucker or a rock ptarmigan hunt with that but I would go all day long on a willow ptarmigan hunt with that yeah what's the configuration on your on the model 21 16 gauge oh my gosh it's a straight grip double trigger 28 inch barrels crucial mod splinter forearm and it only it weighs mm, shy of six and three quarter pounds for a 21 that's amazing yeah that's like that's kind of like the 121 to rule them all <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's a beaut i have i have a i'm very fortunate i have a number of nice guns and and 16s are my that is my gauge that's my favorite yeah yeah i knew i knew that about you so the my one question for you well we'll see where this goes but one question is <laughs> if somebody comes in to to dave Sheely's corner store there in Bacchus, minnesota and hopefully some hopefully some people do and say you know i'm gonna gonna be going bird hunting need a shotgun where what uh what advice are you going to give them where are you going to steer them well you know not everybody's mental to have a side-by-side because right. there's just some people that it's just too foreign to, you know, if you've shot a pump your whole life, you shot a semi-auto your whole life, you got just that single barrel and it is, it's, it's different. Yep. I mean, you don't see off of it as well, you could say, but the feel, the balance, everything on a side-by-side in my, my mind is it's the nicest carry gun there is period. But after saying that, it really depends on what, you know, what they're trying to do. You know, is it, are they just, just starting out? Are they, 
you know, are they pheasant hunter? Are they duck hunter? Are they, you know, what it is? But if you were, if you were bird hunting and you, you were uh, not opposed to side by side, I definitely would show them to you because uh, I feel that that's a good way to go because you can. It's a break open. It opens. You know, if you look at a, you break open a side by side versus an over and under. The you only have to break it open half the distance you do have an over and under. That's got a shallower gape. Yep. Yep. And then it's got a flat and it's more balanced in your hand and it's just an easy carry. Um, and I've, I've just been enamored by him forever. Yeah. Um, and, and Ben and I had this discussion one time, whatever gun it is, you kind of go through a progression from when you're really young and you get your first gun all mm-hmm. the way to when you're <laughs> getting advanced years. Like I'm, I'm starting to understand a little bit more, but, um, <laughs> you, you really go through a perfect weight. You know, you don't really see that on in print, but if you think about it, when you're young, you can't, you can't have a very, very heavy gun. Right. And as you get older, when you get a lot older, you can't have that heavy gun as fast. So when you're 15, 16, 17, then you get into those twenties, those athletes in college, whatever, that's the best muscle mass they're going to have their whole lives. Right. And that's when you can really, you know, wield a, a heavier gun pretty well. But then all of a sudden the gun starts looking good that like I'm 59. So I like the six and a half to seven pound gun. And there'll probably be a, a day when I want it to be closer to six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it, there, there's a weight thing you look at as well. And then obviously what the fit would be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, that's very cool. And, and again, yeah, you've been one of the many influences on me and kind of fueled my <laughs> my needless addiction for side by side shotguns. Yeah, especially since I've been I've been uh, at the corner store for twenty six. I worked at Reed's for twelve. Yeah. So I've been selling guns for longer than you've been alive. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Which is absolutely one of the reasons I turned to you when I got questions, Dave. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's terrible. Yeah. That. I love it. I love it. Well, I uh, I really do appreciate it, Dave. It was great finally getting you on the podcast, and obviously you got a lot to share. We'll have to do this again sometime. But hey, thanks for thanks for taking some time and back his corner store. In Bacchus, Minnesota, just north of Pine River, right? I got the geography right there. Yep. All yep. right. Yeah, folks should stop on by. It's a it's a place to definitely to check out some cool double guns that you won't see in every guns gun shop. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you you giving me a time and and uh, we've been friends for quite a while. And it's just it's fun to talk about those those discussions we've already some of them we've already had. So yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, you bet, Dave. Well, again, happy Halloween. Have fun with the kiddos tonight, and we will we will talk soon, my friend. Okay, we shall. All right, take care. Thank take you. care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.